0: All right, welcome everybody to part number three of this series called FAQ. What we're trying to do over these four weeks together is answer some of the most frequently asked questions within Christianity, you know, things like hasn't science disproven God and how could a loving God send anybody to hell and uh, how, you know, um, how am I supposed to be living as a Christian? I put my, my faith in God. Should, should that really make a difference in my everyday life? I, I, the reason wanted to do this series is because I wanted you to know that it's okay to ask questions. Uh, we do have to take some things on faith, but, uh, there's usually a more helpful explanation than, well, you just got to have faith, you know, thank you. George Michael, or more recently, Limp Biscuit, but uh, not a super helpful uh, explanation for what it is I'm going through in my life. We're going to actually have a two-part message this morning uh, while they're setting up the stage here behind me. I just ever so briefly want to talk to you about pain and suffering. That's the question that a lot of people ask. uh, If God is good, why is there evil in the world? Uh, If God is loving, uh, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, and so I want to try and tackle that from an information perspective maybe from a textbook perspective but I learned a long time ago that information without application will never lead to transformation and God's goal for your life according to second Corinthians 3:18 is to transform you into the image of his son and so uh, part two of the message is going to be that application piece I'm going to talk to some folks who've actually lived through some pain and suffering and uh, maybe we can learn how they've gotten through it and how maybe you can get through it as well, because I don't want to just stand up here and throw some Bible verses at you and say, well, good luck. You know, whatever it is you're going through, here's what the Bible says. No, I want you to know that there's real people that you can talk to who have gone through some very difficult things, and uh, maybe together you can work on something that could work in your life, because I do know this, if you live long enough, uh, something bad is going to happen to you. Uh, the Bible uh, makes no apologies for that. It says you are going to suffer, Jesus says, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. <laughs> That's the message really for you this morning, is you got to have hope, and don't worry. Uh, Jesus wants to do something in your story. That being said, uh, if you t- take down notes, uh, this might be helpful to you uh, to remember. You can write this down. The problem of evil is only a problem if you're evil. Uh, The problem that people have is that there's evil in the world. They say, well, God can't exist because there's evil in the world. let me just tell you the problem of evil is only a problem if you're evil. Uh, How many know that Jesus is going to come back and make all things right one day? And so it's only a problem uh, if you're evil. I can explain it like this. Evil is like rust in a car. You take the rust out of the car, you have a better car. You take the car out of the rust, you have nothing. Uh, evil is like a cut on your finger. You take the cut out of your finger. You have a better finger. You take your finger out of the cut. Again, there's, there's nothing. Pain and suffering is a lot like cancer. The reason we know cancer is bad is because of what it does to your body. You take the cancer out of your body, your body is better. You take uh, the, the body out of the cancer and it, it's nothing. Cancer cannot exist on its own. In the same way evil pain and suffering cannot exist on its own they only make sense against the backdrop of good i'll show you two scriptures quickly on this mark 10 18 jesus says no one is good except god alone and then the author in hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 writes i will put my laws in their hearts and i will write them on their minds In other words, the only way we can know good is because of God, uh, because God is good, and the only reason we can know bad is because the law tells us what's wrong. And according to these two scriptures, God's revealed both. He's revealed to us goodness, and he's revealed to us the law. He's written it on our hearts. Now, I know what you're thinking because you're thinking, well, pastor, if God is good and all-powerful, then why does evil happen? Some of you have been through some very difficult things in life. Uh, You've had to endure some very painful situations in your life. You're wondering, why did I have to go through that? How come God allowed this to happen to me? So let me answer that. I don't know. Uh, What I do know is there's only two ways to eliminate evil in the world. Uh, Number one would be to kill everybody, uh, because we've all broken the law, God's holy, righteous law. Anybody in here ever tell a lie? Uh, if your hand's not up, uh, congratulations! Uh, your first one. There you go. Um, uh, but we've all broken the law. We've all sped. If you drive, you've gone five over. Uh, you've wanted something that wasn't yours. We've all uh, sinned against the law. So the only way to stop evil would be to kill humanity. Or number two, you could stop pleasure. Stopping pleasure would be an effective way to eliminate evil in the world because nobody does evil for evil's sake. We do evil to get good things. We lie, we steal, we cheat in order to get good, pleasurable things like money, sex, and power. The American dream. Take away pleasure, the incentive to do evil would vanish, but what sort of life would it be on a pleasureless planet? The better solution would be uh, to not do away with what is good, but to heal what has gone bad, which is the human heart. Uh, That's what Jesus has come to do. Pleasure comes from the goodness of God. Evil, pain, and suffering comes from the wickedness and brokenness of man. Jesus wants to heal uh, what's gone wrong in the world. And the good news is, is we have some ways that we can, you know, navigate the pain and suffering and and uh, what we're going through in our lives. So I want to talk to you now practically on how we can uh, find some healing in our hearts. So I'm going to invite my guests uh, to go ahead and come on out. Welcome, guys. Uh, so I guess first thing we should probably do, those of uh, the folks here who don't know who you are, maybe you could just introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are, what you do.
1: So my name is Jason Hyde. This is my wife, Raquel. We live in Newton. Uh, I have a, an insurance agency as a business, and Raquel has a leadership consulting business. we have uh, we have two grown children. Uh, Georgia is 23. she's married to Spencer and they just had their first baby girl, Wren, and uh, Gentry who is a senior at WSU this year. and then we have two younger children uh, started over, if you will. Uh, Nora, who is in first grade, and Holland, who is in kindergarten. Uh, can you tell us
0: about Friday, August 12th,
2: 2011? Yes. <clears throat> uh, so Friday, August 12th is um, the beginning of our story. Um. It was was that summer of 2011 when it was really, really, really hot. You know, lots of days of 100 plus temperature, and I'm not sure why I remember that, but I just it was significant and it sticks with me. And we were thinking how hot it was. Jason was out of town; Um, he was with his insurance agency, Farm Bureau. They were at meetings. I'm pretty sure it was a golf tournament. (laughs) Um, Golf (laughs) tournament. And Georgia and Gentry and I um, were going to spend the day in Wichita. Georgia was entering her junior year of high school, and Gentry was going to be a freshman. And Tatum at the time was 19 months old. And so the girls and I um, went back to school shopping. um, uh, And they were going to have a swimming party the next night with all of their friends. um, Kind of a back-to-school celebration. So we were shopping for clothes and everything you need for a teenage girl swimming party. And um, we spent the day in Wichita and got home late afternoon, probably early evening, was more like it, five-ish. Jason was home by then. And, you know, like you do when you have a day out, um, there's a lot of sex and things to carry inside, so we were hauling things in. Jason was in the house. He'd not been there long. He was unpacking. The girls had gone upstairs with all of their uh, back-to-school loot. And um, uh, somewhere in the midst of all of that, um, we realized, you know, where's Tatum? And we have a big house, it's three stories, lots of rooms, lots of floors. And so, um, you know, like we'd done a hundred times before, we, you know, holler up, hey, girls, do you know where Tatum is? And no, she's not up here, was the reply from Georgia and Gentry. Jason, do you know where Tatum is? No. And so I'm like, okay, everybody start looking. Um, she was mobile 19 months she um, you know she roamed around the house a lot and you know thought you know where could she be and so as we're scouring the house (coughs) i don't know if it was jason or i maybe both pretty close to the same time we look out the window and at the kitchen window and tatum was in the pool we have an in-ground swimming pool, and she loved being out there. And somewhere in the midst of all of this going on in the house, she slipped outside. Um, didn't know she could unlock the door, but we figured that out, and she figured out how to get in the swimming pool gate. And so she was face down in the pool, which meant she had been there for a while. And the skimmer by then had pushed her over to the corner where all of the you know the debris goes. And so. I screamed at the girls. Tatum's in the pool. Jason had run outside. I'm dialing 911, and Jason starts giving, he gets her out and starts giving her CPR. And we had a state trooper that lived around the corner, and he heard the call come through. And so he raced over. He was the first one on the scene. And we're not sure if he took over for CPR for Jason or if by then the ambulance had gotten there. But somebody took over for Jason, and... Um, that was the beginning of um, a really rough eight days ahead.
0: Yeah, so um, I mean, there wouldn't even be a conversation in my house. But, uh, Mama would be in the in the ambulance uh, riding along. I assume that's probably yeah. how it worked for you guys. As well, can you walk us through maybe what happened uh, then? Is I mean, did you jump in, Jason? What can you remember some of the story <laughs> picking it up from right there?
1: Uh, so we Raquel it it took it seemed like it took forever for them to get her loaded up, and um, we kind of figured out Raquel was, got in the ambulance, they went on their way, and then I was riding with a friend of the family, Susie. Uh, uh, heading down to well we were going to Newton Hospital and then on the way the ambulance called the hospital and they said take her on to Wesley that it's more than we can handle here and so Raquel was on the way down there and I was riding with Susie and it was pretty quiet ride you know pretty scared uh, don't know what what's going to happen or how she is and not being in the ambulance, you really don't have any information, so, uh, driving down to Wichita, something that, that stands, stood out to me at the time, I didn't, didn't like me anything at the time, but, like Raquel said, we had these 100 degree days for, there were 30 plus days of 100, 100 degrees, and, um, yeah off to the east as we're right about Park City there's this full rainbow off in the sky and we hadn't had any rain I can tell you that so I don't know where that was being uh, how it was there other than I thank God Um, and uh, it didn't really wasn't really that significant to me at the time I just remembered it but um, you know, a few years later, I remember reading the, the story of Noah and how God flooded the earth, and then at the end of at the end of that, when the waters receded, there was a rainbow, and God said, "You know, I'll I'll never do this again." Um, so now you keep a rainbow in the office. I do, and yeah. I've got a Tatum's picture in my office, and Nora, when she was little, was in doing crafts and created a, made a little rainbow, and I have that rainbow on the wall right next to Tatum's picture. So, it's good.
0: So, in the ambulance, Newton says we're not equipped for this. We're going to Wichita. Uh, what what happens when you when you arrive in Wichita?
2: So we um, go straight to Wesley, and they take her into the trauma. Um, unit area <clears throat> and the hospital um, there 's a coordinator at the hospital that works with the families to make sure everybody gets to where they need to be because they knew that she would be going up to the pediatric intensive care unit um, she was completely she was unresponsive um, and uh, we knew that I mean, we knew that it was bad, but we you know surely if you 're going to the pick you there 's some hope there 's you know, something there. And so this woman, she, um, her name's Raylene Makovic. She was from Gossel, and um, her son was in the same glass as Gentry, and she was there. She was on duty that night, and she was the patient care coordinator, and she was the one that just, you know, scooped us up and <laughs> hauled us upstairs and made sure we were settled and had everything we needed and knew where to be and... Um, at some point or another, I think we were upstairs long before Tatum got up there, but at some point they brought Tatum up to the PICU. Um, they wanted her close to the nurse's station, if I remember right, because she didn't go into a room right away. They, She was just um, on this warming bed. Her body temperature was really low, so she was on this warming bed there by the nurse's station where they could monitor her continuously. And that was Friday night about midnight, and... We were there until the next Sunday morning, about midnight.
0: So, I imagine she's hooked up to all kinds of machines. We have no idea what even they're doing. But uh, did did the doctors explain to you what was happening? Like what they were looking for, or what?
2: So they were treating her as a you know a typical drowning victim um, that she had been underwater, or so you know. Underwater long enough that she, um, she didn't have any brain activity, and so they were monitoring all week, running scans looking for brain activity because she was without oxygen for. And we didn't know how long she had been in the pool, so you know we couldn't say, oh, it was just thirty seconds, or oh, it was you know six minutes. We have we don't really know, um, and so they were. I mean. Just exploring everything that week, trying to figure out, you know, is there brain activity and, you know, is there anything going on?
1: She had water in her lungs, and I think one of her lungs, they were trying to keep it from collapsing. And, you know, she was on breathing machine. And
2: Yeah, the, I mean, it was machines that were keeping her yeah. alive.
0: Did they find anything? I mean, when they...
2: Nothing. <clears throat> they did tests all week long. You know, they would check for her reflexes, and there was, there just was nothing. There was some point, maybe Wednesday, they were um, testing her reflexes, and <laughs> that her one of her toes, her little pinky toe, moved ever so slightly. And, you know, I kind of wonder today, did it really, you know, did we did we see what we were hoping to see, and we thought, oh my gosh, you know, okay, we're, you know, maybe out of the woods, not out of the woods, but there's some sign of hope yet, and so we just kept looking for any kind of movement, and yet all of the brain scans were, the neurologist kept, just kept saying there's, you know, we're not finding or getting anything.
1: But you're just hoping for anything, you know, you're looking for the smallest sign, the the miracle.
2: (laughs) Clinging To, to anything.
1: Yeah.
0: So you're there eight days Never left, never even left the floor of the, of the hospital. What does day eight look like?
2: Well, so day seven was a Friday, and that was when the whole medical team called us in for a consultation. And, you know, 12 doctors, and the, it was Jason and I, and Georgia and Gentry in this room, this crowded room, where they were just describing that. You know, they could keep going. They could, We could keep doing this, but there was, you know, neurologically there was nothing. She just, she wasn't living on her own. It was purely the machines. And told us we probably needed to be thinking about making a decision.
1: Yeah, they said they're. they've tried everything, done everything that they could, and gave us two options, really. That we could take Tatum home with all the machines, all the equipment, and you know she would probably lie in a bed the rest of her life and
2: unresponsive,
1: with, yeah, with all those machines, or we could make a decision to um, take her off the machines and see if she can live on her own, and essentially, we knew that she. We didn't know. We had a good idea. She could not live on her own. So that's a, that was a, a bombshell. Even though we'd been there eight, eight days, we'd gotten kind of adjusted to <laughs> living in a hospital um, in and out of her room with their schedules and everything. So uh, I think we knew it, but you just don't want to go there. Um, somebody's got to force you. To that place. So,
2: so Saturday morning, um, we had a little more conversation with the doctors, but ultimately decided to take her off of life support. And so, you know, there was a good portion of the day that was spent um, doing all of the paperwork and just preparing for that. You know, it wasn't just unplug this and unplug that. It was it's a process, a real process. It took longer than. Than we thought. So by evening, and we'd informed all the family. You know, we we had an amazing support system that whole week, and we kind of took over that whole waiting area. <laughs> um, so you know, we kept everybody informed um, and said that we were gonna. That was a decision we'd made. So by Saturday evening, you um, know, everybody knew, and it was probably <coughs> seven o'clock or so when they um, were ready to un unhook her from the life support and that was the first time um, any of us got to hold her we couldn't hold her that whole week because she was so connected to machines and so the four of us each got a chance to to hold her one last time And I held her last, and a couple of hours passed, and it was crazy because she was 19 months. She wasn't tiny anymore, and she was just this little, this little person. And my arm never got tired; it never went to sleep. It just, and it was. I got to hold her when she took her last breath. And it's pretty amazing to hold your children when they're born and hold your children when they die. And that was a gift that God gave us in the middle of that in the in the midst of that journey. And so she took her last breath.
0: And on august twentieth, two thousand eleven she went home to heaven. Um, but I've heard it said uh, that death either takes you from your treasure or it takes you to your treasure, depending where you keep it. Uh, Jason, you are not a Christian at this point in time, so uh, for all intents and purposes, your treasure is everything here on earth, something very uh, tre- I mean something you hold dearly has just been taken from you. What I mean walk us through
1: um, maybe your experience. So, yeah, just getting to the hospital and, and going through all this, you, like Raquel said, we had an amazing group of people in and out of the hospital bringing us things, taking care of us. um, uh, one person in, in general, Heidi, who, uh, worked for Farm Bureau, uh, farm bureau said hey you know we need somebody there and I think she just finished running or exercising or something and um, said okay well I'll go there and she gets there and it's like well I can't show up like this and tries to talk herself out of coming up to the hospital and as she tells it two or three times back to the car okay I'll, I'll go um, you know finally listening to God and, and coming up uh, to the hospital and
0: meeting. Did you, did, you a- with- did you ask her why is she so sweaty? Or what <laughs> you
1: What in like, that smell? No, um, no, we couldn't have cared less. I don't even remember what she what she looked like. Um, but it, it, at some point, Heidi just dropped everything. You know, she dropped work. You know, I won't say she dropped her family, but she spent the next eight days in that hospital with us a lot of time. Um, And something she asked me, she says, is there anything we can get from the house? Can I get your Bible? And I said I didn't have a Bible. So she bought me a Bible and kind of gave me some guidance on where to go, what to look for. Um, I just remember texting Heidi and she giving me verses to go to. Um, and then songs with those verses, and making that connection and it was it was really powerful. Uh, I remember of all everybody that came to the hospital, something that stood out to me was the people who had a strong faith would would come up and say, "Can we pray you know here 's something that got me through something, and it was always back to the Bible, it was always back to scripture that and and they they just seemed to have a strength i want to say confidence i don't know if that's but now i i do feel that it was a confidence but it was a a strength that that drew me to them more than everyone else and i don't want to minimize everyone else being there it was all part of the healing and getting through it but there was just something that drew me in and as i would have questions and struggles i just kept going to the bible and it got me through you know i was doing a lot of negotiating with god in the hospital <laughs> reflecting on my life and maybe some of the great thing not not so great things i had done or not done and And I was negotiating. God, if you'll give me Tatum, I'll do this, you know. If she'll move, I'll do this, you know, just everything. I'll be different. I'll be totally different. I think he already knew I was different. Um,
2: It's interesting because we kept, you know, we were obviously praying for Tatum. We were asking for, you know, healing. We wanted her to recover. You know, we wanted her life back and... You know, we didn't know it in the in the middle of all of that, but in hindsight, um, there was God was doing some amazing healing, and He was um, He was bringing life and to somebody, and it was it was through Tatum that that her daddy was being healed.
0: It's good. Um, day of the funeral. What do you remember? What stands out to you?
2: It was hot. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was hot. Um, I, for me particularly, was just trying to stay busy. You know, there's friends and family over, but ultimately you're waiting to bury your child. So it's not fun. Um, I was just trying to stay busy, taking care of other people, you know, whatever I could do. And I noticed Heidi and Raquel were outside. And so <laughs> went out there and see what they were doing. And I have this uh, fear of ants <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. I um, do not like ants. And strangely, we bought a house in the part of town that they call Ant Hill. So I go out there, there's ants all over and I go back in and get some ant spray. Come back out and <laughs> spraying ants and Heidi says, What are you doing? And so that's a good question. Um, but she asked me, See, so would you like to give your life to Christ on this day? And I didn't think about it. I didn't. I just said yes. I didn't ask. You know. Well, wait. Wait a second. What? What kind of commitment is that going to take? You know. What? How am I going to have to be different? I didn't. I didn't go through my usual negotiation with myself. I just said yes. And so we stood out there, held hands, and Heidi said the prayer, and I. I changed forever that day that we him in the ground.
0: Um, I find it so compelling because I've had a number of conversations with people that say something to the effect of I used to believe in God but uh, I used to believe in God but then I lost a child. I used to believe in God but my, spa- my spouse abandoned me. Uh, I used to believe in God, but my best friend uh, died in a car accident. I, I got a cancer diagnosis. So there's a lot of people who fall away uh, from faith through tragic circumstances. But what, what caused you, I mean, to, to embrace salvation on one level, Raquel, to uh, hold on to faith? What, what, do, you, what do you think um, caused you to believe in God despite this?
2: Well, I rem- you know, when we were in the hospital, there were, the only promises or the only guarantees um, that week were um, the promises um, and the hope of salvation. I mean, there was nothing that the doctors could promise us, which we understood. Um, but this... Um, the, the, there's this story about Tatum dying, but there's also this story about... Um, redemption beginning to happen and you know i was pregnant i had a you know trying to grow this baby and we still you know we still had a family to raise you know georgia and gentry were in high school and they needed a they needed a solid foundation they needed parents that weren't you know wishy-washy they had parents that were grieving but they needed parents that were had something solid and, and hopeful to hang on to and we'd received a letter from a family there in town who had lost a child to SIDS years ago and they said quoted the statistic that 75% of all marriages end in divorce after the first year in the, within the first year after a, a child dies and when we read that letter we were like no <laughs> that's, that's not going to be us I don't know what that looks like yet. We don't know how to do that, but um, you know, Jason's faith was new. We still had a family to take care of. I grew up in the church, so it all had always mattered to me, and it just seemed like the most natural thing to lean into, and frankly, hold on to. And you know, we. I like to think of it um, I think God let us borrow Tatum for 19 months Um, He was hers to begin with and we just got to spend a little time with her here and frankly the the hope of seeing Tatum in eternity is a lot more appealing than just 19 months with her here
1: I think you know, when I look back at at my life and, and where I was at that point, I can think back of several times where I got lucky. Um, and, you know, I look back now and I think, man, to me it was all God's plan. He knew what I needed to basically just give in and say... I'm here, show me what's next, and I think that's something that's carried me through is I stopped asking why, or why me, God, or why Tatum, and I've just learned to ask, all right, I'm here, show me what I need to learn from this and what's next. Because when you start asking why or why me," you're blaming God, and I was or could have, and I truly feel like everything that we go through is is so that we will be better' I, don't, I definitely didn't think that or know that at the time, but I really don't know that i was I was just letting everyone around me helped me get to that, that place. And, and we surrounded ourselves with people who were extremely strong in their faith. There was, there was no other avenue for us. It, was too, it felt too fragile not being with people that had that strength and that confidence that we were going to be taken care of. We were going to be all right and
2: yeah, we were fragile, and we needed people that were full of strength and courage to keep us propped up while we got our feet back on the ground.
1: you know at the time we were looking for a church we we had one just wasn 't necessarily just, it just didn 't grab us just didn 't grab a hold of us and um, so we uh, our connection with Heidi, they, they had a small group going on and they invited us into their small group and I have never been part of a small group and um, so it was very awkward, like, oh, okay, but I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm still a newborn at this. And uh, once again, you just let, let the people that know what they're doing guide you. And... Um,
2: Or like Heidi did. She let God work through her. She was a vessel for the work that he intended to do. And we had a choice to keep showing up in the midst of his work or run from it. And being in the midst of his work felt a heck of a lot better than trying to figure it out on our own. And we, you know, it was a choice every day. And some days it was easier than others. Um, but <laughs> there's, we had nothing to lose by choosing the way of Christ we had nothing to lose we had already lost Tatum and if we just kept on that path that God was laying out for us then we knew that we would see her we know that we will see her and that was a heck of a lot more appealing than this random path where we were trying to find our own way because we just weren't equipped we aren't. We still aren't equipped to do that on our own. Uh,
0: along those same lines, I guess when I first heard your story, I I told Laura our kids are never swimming again. Like it's it's shower time instead of <laughs> bath time. We're not doing. <laughs> what, it, what kept you from saying we are filling in the pool tomorrow? Uh, it, it's we're we're not having it. What what kept you from from just going? That far, uh, in that direction.
1: So there were a lot of, lot of conversations had.
2: We wondered that too. Should around that?
1: Um, It's kind of a lot of water to get rid of, so that kind of held us back a little bit. (laughs) Um, It it was. We had other decisions to make too. What do we do with Tatum's room? What do we do with her clothes? Um, Do we move? Do we move? Lots of decisions, and I think what it, it came down to when we made all of those decisions was a we we didn't want to make those decisions based on a fear that could we determine want- the rest of our our lives or our memories or our whatever. I mean, with with her clothes, I remember just going in there and smelling her clothes, um, and. You know, we still have those today. We aren't at that point anymore, but we didn't want to live in fear. And Tatum loved the pool. We didn't go out there for a couple of years, um, but I, it was it was really a a fear thing, and not letting fear control. Our lives she was gone, and closing that pool up was not going to bring her back. Um, we made a lot of <laughs> changes to our house and to some things that we hadn 't thought of, but yeah it was it was difficult
2: and in the months it was just a few months after um, tatum 's death, we were at one of um, heidi 's church services. And part of the message was um, about you know about your children, and I remember the pastor saying you know you you can try really hard to keep your children safe, but there's no guarantee in life that you'll keep them safe from any or all harm kids you know there's there are going to be some accidents, there are going to be some bad things that happen to good kids, and it isn't our entirely our place to just keep our kids safe. That isn't why we're... It <laughs> sounds dumb. We're not here to keep our kids safe. Yes, we are. That's part of our role. But bigger than that, the bigger picture is um, as parents, we're here to um, protect their eternity or protect their their life beyond what is here for them on earth. And that was part of the choice. We knew we couldn't keep them any of the girls safe from anything. Um, all the time, but we could lay a foundation. We could keep demonstrating to Georgia and gentry that, um, you know, that there is salvation, and we could lay that foundation for Nora. We didn't know, you know, Holland came along a little bit later, but we still, we wanted, that's what we wanted to raise the girls in, um, uh, in, in protecting their future, their eternity, not just keeping them safe.
0: So good. So good. Um, Now, I'm sure a lot of well-meaning people uh, tried to offer uh, words of advice or encouragement or (laughs) console you in different ways. So, you know, I'm one of the people who, you know, I've never been through something like this. I'm sure there's a lot of people in, in the audience this morning, too, who have not been through something like this. So what would you offer to people like me when we're trying to talk to people who have gone through something difficult, what what sort of advice would you give for people who don't know what to say? What?
2: Well, you will say dumb things. <laughs> people do say dumb things, and it's okay.
0: Um, and
2: just remember, it's about extending grace and not being offended because they don't know what to say in your moments of loss and... Your depth of despair. Who who would know what to say? So just extending grace. Is... I
1: I think when I when I think back of either at the hospital or at our home afterwards, uh, the thing that really stood out to me. We got a lot of. Great words of encouragement um, and and words to just say they're thinking of us and those are those are great. I think what stood out to me was those people that just showed up. Um, they were just there. Uh, it wasn't the conversation wasn't centered just around the tragedy. It was they were there long enough to yes oh hey I'm sorry but then. Life kind of became about the conversation. It was good having that that break of just solely focusing on on that. And some people showed up with food. Some people just showed up. And I think to me that's that's a big thing. If you read in the in the Bible in the book of James in chapter two, it talks about uh, having faith without works is dead. And I, so that when somebody asked me today, what should we do for so and so, I tell them, do something. There's, it's one thing to say something. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. But I think showing up, bringing food, taking the conversation in another route, it's tough. There is an elephant in the room. But the more you can get around that, the better. We
2: spent a lot of time at movies that fall, lots of Sunday afternoon movies. Some friends gave us tickets to the Walnut Valley Festival, which (laughs) turned out not to be our thing. (laughs) But it was kind and generous and loving that they did that for us. You know, it was just their way of, you know, creating some distraction and helping us figure out what a new normal would look like.
1: I think it goes back to get out of, get the, the insecurity, the negativity, yeah. out of your own mind. Our minds tell us, "Oh, that's not good enough," or "Oh, they won't like that," or it's those kind of things. Yeah. Um, don't or, worry
2: about that. Just yeah. show up and be present. I
1: mean, going back to Heidi and struggling—do I go in? Do I? How do I look? Take that. Don't even think about it. Show up. Be there for somebody. That will mean more than any words. Um, it's it's important.
0: And I don't want to try and compare anybody's sorrow to anybody else's, but I, I know there's people here this morning who are going through some difficult things, um, uh, whatever it is. So can you offer any kind of uh, words of wisdom um, when it comes to grieving or sorrow or, or getting through something that's hard?
2: So you have the opportunity every day to make a choice and you choose to keep moving forward or you choose to not move forward. And that sounds oversimplified, but some days it's just that. Do I keep moving forward just one foot in front of another? And so part of it is just taking moment by moment and being okay with that. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, reading books that brought comfort. I spent a lot of time in the Bible. I journaled a lot. Um, I found a woman's devotion. um, I forget the name now, but it was, you know, can you, it was about writing devotions and then writing what you're thankful for and coming up with a thousand different things that you're grateful for. Everything from, you know, the iridescent color of soap bubbles <laughs> to good conversations with people that you love, you know, just a gamut and so just being, practicing gratitude um, was a big piece of it for for me and connecting, building relationships leaning into the people that were going to build you up that were going to move you on the path that you wanted to be going down
1: Yeah, I, I agree, I when I was in the hospital and uh, was given a Bible for the first time and uh, going through and reading scriptures and and diving into that, um, it kind of laid the groundwork for who I am and what I do today. And I had a, like Raquel said, I had a choice to choose to build a relationship with God or... I don't know the other choice was very dark um, it it was not appealing at the time, and I don't know i it it wasn't even an option I don't know how to explain that it it just it it would not have it would have been very dark, so I think you have to surround yourself with people who if if you desire a relationship with God, you have to surround yourself with people who desire the same thing. Um, you can't you can't be spending time with people who have nothing to do with God and and trying to grow your faith. It's it's two opposing forces and am um, not saying that you shouldn't try to bring other people to to God. I'm not saying that at all. I just where I was in being new it I needed somebody much stronger and much more knowledgeable, and that was that was really big it it is I still feel like i 'm a a newborn um, in my faith, but it was uh, it, it it changed um, and it, it comes down to a choice i think
2: well and you know the peculiar thing about emotion is you can 't selectively numb, and so if you don 't. If you're trying to numb the hurt and the pain and the anguish and all of the negative, what you're inadvertently doing is also numbing all of the positive and good emotions that you need to sustain you through those really dark periods. And so that's probably my biggest piece of advice is, you know, you're going to feel vulnerable. And that's okay. Just lean into that. That use that vulnerability as a starting point for healing. Um, and don't don't try to numb the the pain, because you'll end up numbing joy too, and you'll set yourself back. And it's probably not where you want to go.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of uh, it's a choice. You get to see things as they are. Or you get to choose to see things how God says they are. And God says that, that, that we have hope. And uh, I, I think I'll just close our time this morning with that idea of, of hope that we have hope if you place your life in Jesus. And I'll maybe step into the role of Heidi and just ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? I want to give you a chance to do that as we close our service this morning. But uh, more than that, Jason and Raquel agreed to share their story because they want to help people. And they're going to be at the back of service. Uh, today, uh, as soon as we're done here, to to chat with you. If you have any questions or, or want to speak with them, they've agreed to do that because they want to be a help, and that's why they agreed to be here this morning. So uh, let me pray, um, and we're just going to ask God to do what only He can do. Uh, God, we just uh, humbly submit to you right now. We know that you are with us in our presence this morning. Um, God, we just want to... Um, ask you to do what only you can do and move on our behalf. And I believe, God, that you've brought people here who needed to hear this message and that perhaps one of them has not chosen to follow you and they don't have this hope that we've been promised as believers in Christ. I want, if that's you this morning, I want to give you a chance right now just to put your hope in Jesus. The Bible says you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you'll be saved. I just invite you to follow me in a prayer and say, God, I believe. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died. And I believe he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. God, I repent of my sin. I thank you for saving me. and God, I thank you for a new life. I thank you for resurrecting our souls. I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. I just ask you to move and work uh, in people's lives today. Uh, help them realize that there's a bigger story being told here and that they can be a part of it. Uh, if they'll just submit their will to your life uh, and to your will. And we just ask you again um, to help us today. Uh, It's a powerful story, and we just ask that it not be quickly forgotten because of uh, the glory that you can be uh, had uh, because of it. Again, we thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you came prepared to give there's there's places for do that but more importantly the connection cards uh, you can drop those in the buckets or otherwise we will see you next week